I might choose how I identify myself, but that other one in the equation has everything to do with geography, with class, with all these other intersecting identities that go into how other people read me and see me. I'm proud to say that today I proudly identify as a black woman who has a white mom and I have white adjacency and light skin privilege, but that most importantly, what I have learned is that my blackness does not need to be performed because that's what I was doing. Oh, I'm going to snap to that. Jason and Yvonne Lee, wife, husband, father, mother, actors, producers, and seekers, educators, explorers of identity. You're listening to Lager Lane Spirits, a delicious podcast where we invite you into our living room for a family spirit symposium, a real talk meeting of the minds over reverent cocktails. Join us as we dive back in time to examine the legacy of our ancestors that have shaped the stories of our shared cultural history. You can find all of our cocktail recipes and show notes on lageralanespirits.com. And as always, please enjoy. Responsibly. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. Like the bodiless heads you see sometimes in circus sideshows, it is as though I have been surrounded by mirrors of hard, distorting glass. When they approach me, they see only my surroundings, themselves, or figments of their imagination. Indeed, everything and anything except me. Ralph Ellison. From the places where they came to the places where they were going, They re-identified. They dropped I's from their names, turned Z's to something other, adopted one syllable for many. Some took on the names of the people who owned them, only to lose their own forever and ever. Some stopped speaking the language they were born with, genetically modified, erased. Yet they existed, all with a story to be told that has lived on to become the legend from which we all come. We are the Descendants Identity. Hello! I'm so excited. Welcome to our very first episode of the Lager Lane Spirits Podcast. What's up, friends? This season, Jason and I are exploring all things identity. My husband and I will revisit moments in American history through the lens of our own family's roots and the legacy of the generations that have come before us. Tonight, we will be exploring the definition of identity. What makes us who we are? Who makes us who we are? The when, the why, and the how. I suspect we'll be asking more questions than getting answers tonight, which has been a big part of life lately, whether from an ancestral, biological, metaphysical, emotional social or spiritual poke in the proverbial ass, I think a lot of us have been asking ourselves, who am I? A poke in the proverbial ass? <laughs> Whatever that means for us, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
through the decades, centuries even, people have been asking, where do I fit? Right? How do I fit? How do I fit into the big picture of this whole life on earth thing? Where do I belong within this historical timeline that never ends? Where does my plot point begin? You know, (laughs) we can even ask, how do I belong? And I think that all relates back to identity. Mm -hmm. I I think there's an awakening going on. People are questioning their identity, their heritage. I suppose this isn't anything new, really, but with with websites like Ancestry.com and 23andMe and Family Tree DNA, you, know, you can do a lot of research now online. Sometimes answers died with the dead. But now we have access to more and more information that helps us get to the DNA root of the who am I question, right? A lot of deep dives going on. And as you know, I've been doing my own spelunking, which got us to creating this podcast. This journey for you has been totally (laughs) insane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And not just for you, my husband, but Mm. questioning is what gets us to new truths and new truths are what we all (laughs) need right now. I see this culturally transforming time is not just informational, but also healing. This is why I'm excited to explore this topic with our good friend and equity inclusion queen, Fanchin Cox. She has some super insightful things to say about identity. But but first... But first... Our cocktail. So, so this podcast also exists because we love sharing a good cocktail while, while having spirited conversations. We'll be indulging in what we have coined a spirit symposium with you all tonight. These days, we think of a symposium as a meeting of experts around a specific topic, but the actual origin of the word comes from the Greek word symponine, meaning to drink together. And tonight's cocktail is the white Negroni. Negronis uh, make me think of Europe. I mean, like mm. when we went to the Locarno Film Festival with our film Lucky, uh, yes. and we uh, we sipped them all day long. Oh, yeah. Delicious! It was so hot there. <laughs> it was blazing. It was one of the hottest summers. Did they? Didn't they call ever. it like El Diablo? It, I think it was it, called El Diablo in Locarno. It, yeah, they yeah. they decided to start you know speaking Spanish in in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it was it was delicious and refreshing. It was the Italian, I believe it was. The, the, the Italian. Refreshing. Remember, well, we, there's it depends we, on what side that you're. Yes. Yes, because yeah, we flew into Milan, and drove from Milan to Locarno. It's gorgeous. Stunning. I wanted to find George Clooney's house. <laughs> yeah, I think we drove by it. Oh, did we? I think we did. <laughs> okay. Lucky was Lucky was a great film. You were incredible in that movie. Lucky was a Thanks, very important babe. film for us. I I was I served as one of the producers on it. Lager Lane was one of the producers on it, and you were incredible in the movie, starring Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton, rest in peace. His final movie. You got to do several scenes with the iconic actor's actor, Harry Dean Stanton. What was that like? Oh my gosh, being on set with someone who. Uh, is not trying, who's just a living, breathing storyteller, uh, was pretty amazing. Like, all you had to do was be present and breathe and and listen to him. And, and part of it was autobiographical for him, even though sometimes 
he didn't remember that it was actually his story. <laughs> uh, but it was really beautiful and, and it felt very special for someone who was as ki- as iconic as him, especially for those who really understand either like the big movie scene or even like the independent film scene. It was really great to... Uh, you know, I didn't take it for granted to be on set with him. I think of Lucky as as an absolute bookend to Paris, Texas. I just love the 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 slow, meditative uh, walking through the desert, thinking about what we're talking about in here: identity. Who am I? Where am I? What is my what is my place? While I have this time on this earth to explore, what am I about? It was incredible. The film was nominated uh, for the uh, Golden Leopard at Locarno, but Lucky actually won a pretty amazing wild award, honestly. Uh, the Ecunemical Award. The Prize of the Ecunemical Jury Award, which is an award that is bestowed upon a film at major international film festivals. Uh, if it honors, the, the, the award honors films of quality which touch the spiritual dimension of our existence. Which goes so well with our conversation about identity. I love it. Speaking of filmmaking, um, we should also mention our company, Lagra Lane. Yvonne, you want to you wanna talk about that while I whip up this here libation? I would love to. I would love to. I, I would like to begin on my, on my second one, just letting you know, guys, so that I'm on my second one. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lagra Lane, the Lagra Lane group began maybe about five or six years ago, and we started because we wanted to figure out how we could contribute to making a difference and giving women and people of color a bigger platform to be able to tell their stories. So, I mean, as you know, we are actors, but we figured in order to be part of the solution, we should help the people who actually uh, create the stories, um, who are the voices. So we created our company, Lagra Lane. And I mean, truly, Lager Lane is based in creating legacy. So the name is a, is a combination of our two names, Lager Lane. Lagramada, my middle name, and my husband's name, middle name, Delane. And so we took the first part of the Lagra and the last part of his name, Delane, and it became Lager Lane. And we did that because Lane Lagra doesn't sound as good. It, it could have, though, if we gave it. More of a chance. It a could've... little, a, a few more seconds. Yeah, of thought. So that is Logger, the Logger Lane Group. And <laughs> uh, this love of revealing shared cultural truths became a catalyst for conversation and makes this podcast a personal extension for us as filmmakers. Well done, my love. Well done. And now the co-star of our show. The white Negroni. The white The ingredients Negroni. of this drink are 1.5 ounce gin, pour, one ounce Dolan Blanc vermouth, three quarters ounce Sous or Coqui Americano, served on the rocks, on the rocks, stirred. Now there's a, there's a, there's a blasphemous social media presence being perpetuated by the phenomenal actor Stanley Tucci, who says that you can shake a Negroni. Now, I truly, truly, honestly adore Mr. Tucci's work as an actor. He like, can come on the show and defend himself. He, he could absolutely. We, we welcome you, sir. We would welcome you. <laughs> However, you do not shake a Negroni. You stir that bad boy. You stir that about 20 times. You mix that ice up in there and you give it a solid, solid stir. 
You don't shake a Negroni. Shaking, as I have learned, is only if it has citrus in it. Delicious results if you shake when appropriate and stir when appropriate. Uh, Babe, if people want to have the drink, what do they do? If any of you listening are at home and want to join us, pause right here and jump over to lagrelanespirits.com where you can grab the recipe. So what do you think, Yvonne? I love it. I think it's, it's, I love the color. I love the freshness of it. I love, uh, you know, wherever you are, if you're in the spring or if you're in the summer and you're transitioning, it just, it's something that helps, uh, you know, transition you into the new season. It is a refreshing cocktail, right? Like it's, you know, the, the Negroni with, uh, with, with the traditional Negroni with its Campari is, is, is a bit more on the heavy side, but the, the Sue's element brings in mm-hmm. a, a very refreshing yes. element to it, right? Which is my favorite style of, of cocktail, something super refreshing. Yes. Aren't there like 50 million different types of Negronis? Absolutely. You can swap out the uh, gin and create, in, in the Negroni line, you can swap out the gin with whiskey. It makes it a uh, Bavardier or an Old Pal. There there are several uh, distinct cocktails that, that come out simply with, with mezcal. It becomes basically a Oaxacan. I love all those drinks. Everyone that you've said, we've tried them. They are fantastic. They are fantastic drinks. They all are. Does the Negroni know its true identity? Oh, that's a that's a, that's a great question, right? Like the the character of the drink, right? That's a that's a good point. You know, little history of the of the Negroni itself. The Negroni was basically invented, created in 1919 by an Italian, Count Negroni, mm-hmm. who had asked his friend, a bartender to uh, spice up, basically, his favorite drink, the Americano. And the bartender responded by swapping out the soda water and putting in gin. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how the Negroni was, was, was created. But in, in 2001, it got a little British put on it by the bartender, Wayne Collins, at the Vin Expo in France... In Bordeaux, France, he Bordeaux, France, Bordeaux, France, Bordeaux, France. <laughs> he basically wanted to create a Negroni riff mm-hmm. that featured gin, but not Campari or sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. And so he added the Sous, and he also he he actually added the Lillette Blanc. Mm-hmm. I'm using Dolan Blanc, mm-hmm. and it was a hit. Like won every award and it's on the, the the recipe of like every bar in 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 the world around the world. So Collins created the white Negroni in two thousand one. So it is as a drink. The character of the drink is basically half Italian, half British. Ha! Huh. So it's biracial, multiracial, like <laughs> us, like us. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Thank you. Oh my god, it's delicious. Um. So Jason. Cocktail identification, cultural identification. We're bringing it all together in one place. Mm-hmm. Jason, how do you identify? Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, for the listener out there who doesn't know me, I was adopted. My, my family is, is, is wonderful and they are white. And so I, I, and I am not. And so I, I had a hard time at first, really, for, for the first about 20 years of my life, really understanding anything else outside of being black and white. So I, I, I identified at first mostly as being adopted. And what I mean by that is every time I would meet somebody else who was adopted, 
everything else would stop and we'd launch into a big like conversation, big, you know, almost metaphysical conversation about what it is to be adopted. How, you know, you know, what's, what's that like for you? Full like stop of conversations would happen whenever I came across uh, a fellow adopted individual. Uh And so I always identified at first as being adopted. I would say too, I think it's so interesting that you say that because I think when you, when you think of black and white, when you talk about race as this construct, and that's how people, that's how this country asks you to identify, there's almost something much more human about the identity of like being adopted or not being adopted. Like it actually gets more to the core of who a person is than identifying by black or white mm-hmm. in these kind of artificial constructs that have been created by by you know, sociologists, you know, back in the day. That's yes. what that made me think of. So how, how do you identify? I mean, you're, you're black and Filipina. Do you see yourself half black, uh, half Filipina? How do you, how, what's your no. identification? No, no, absolutely no, not. No, no, I don't, no. I don't, no, I don't. And I, and I don't, I never say half. And I remember there was a very distinct, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember there was a distinct moment in my life where I was like, I am not going to say half because if I'm half, that means I'm not really whole. And somehow, uh, you know, I'm not whole in one identity or the other if I'm half. And I and I remember having that experience and I remember it making me feel um, less than. And I, I, I just, I did not like that. So I've always hated this idea of half because I'm, I because I come from a black parent and I come from a Filipino parent. And that somehow I'm not whole in one identity or the other. And, and you know, in the end, I just, I don't want to identify my wholeness. And, and and when I hear even other people identify themselves as half, I go, okay, well, if I had to like draw a line somewhere, like what part would be half? And and why does it matter? Um, my experience is Filipino and my experience is Black American. And, and I have them both. Dig, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that what's interesting about that for me is that you know, you have the Pacific Islander. Uh, uh, your mother's Filipina, and you have and you have the and you have the African. I have the African and the European. And I think mm-hmm. the North American experience has been so locked in on in the black and white space of creating these mathematical term, terminologies, right? Mulatto, quadroon, octoroon, mm. right? Mm. Like three, you're three fifths a, a citizen. You're you're this and you're that. You know, we've been we've been especially in the black and white space, so, so segmented and regimented into a numerical equation that has almost insisted upon being, taking taking yourself in as either half, that it's almost like an emasculization of, of your wholeness as a, as, a, as a person. So I really right. appreciate when you explore it that way. Growing up in, in Arizona, sometimes... Um yeah, it was difficult to kind of figure all of that stuff out, but I love being both. And, you know, people look at me and I can see them start to like question who I am. They're Mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. And I'm not going around identifying with how the world sees me. I'm identifying with how I see myself and I get to tell you who I am. So no, I, you know, and then I can't choose between the two. I can't say half. I am both. I'm all things, you know, I'm also an artist, a woman, an actor, a mother, just you know, so many things, um, and but I have to tell other people what how to uh, how to orient themselves around me. Mm-hmm. But uh, for Jason, for you, which culture do you identify with most? With you have to tell 
people how you who you are right like that's mm-hmm. that you know from the adopted space I, i've always i always say i've always known who i am like as a man right like I, I've, I've always known who i am i i've never known what i am made of and so my recent uh ancestral research has really filled in that information for me even mm-hmm. in, in meeting my 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 birth parents and getting an idea of their heritages um and 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 where they where they both are are from how that created me you know my research has really introduced me to really some extraordinary peoples right like some extraordinary locations that i would never have thought uh that right. i would have come from mm-hmm. uh, on both sides really um i never knew if my biological mother was uh white or black i always knew i was black and white i didn't know which sex was which right like i didn't know my biological mo- mother was white. I didn't know my biological father was was black. And then to specify to get out of the whiteness and the blackness, and really to go to locations that these websites uh, like Ancestry.com can yeah, provide like for the you, actual countries, the, and co- the countries, yeah. The, the, the 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 yeah, the locations. Uh, so I have found that I'm I'm a West African. To answer your question, Yvonne, what culture do I identify with most? I am a West African, European, adopted, black man. I'm half white and half black, and I say, I do still say half. I do, and I think that might be Americana hitting me as a light skinned black man walking the streets here. But I, but I, I know I, I do, I do, I do. In my search, I feel like I found my wholeness. Oh, yes. but I do feel uh-huh. also half black, half white. Great, we get to wholeness in all the different ways that yes. we get to it. I'm, yes. I'm Nigerian, German, Russian. You are the white. Negroni. Ding, 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 ding. Hence the name of the cocktail we are drinking tonight. The white Negroni. I've actually also used the white Negroni as a fantasy football team name, uh, which was a, a lot of fun that season, even though I didn't win that, the, the, the league that season. But that's a story for another day. But that's why I started my search for my biological, biological parents to discover the racial part that was missing for me, right? Like, Adoption early on in my life was my sole identity, and I wanted to know the black side of my family. I I was surrounded by whiteness, by a loving family of Scandinavian and German descent that raised me, but they didn't have my Afro. And so I wanted to go out and find out what... They wanted your Afro, though. (laughs) My Afro is pretty awesome. (laughs) I I call it my splendiferous Afro. But so, Yvonne... You, you don't know much about your roots on your dad's side of the family, which makes sense, respectfully, I suppose, right? Like, you, while you're so connected to your Filipino side, your, your mom, uh, right? Have you, um, have you wanted to try to connect more with the other side of your cultural identity? Well, I mean, I think that it's, it's not so much uh, cultural identity that I wanted to um, connect to. Um, I I do think it had something to do with family. I mean, it's exactly why I invited them to our wedding, as you remember. I I thought it was the perfect opportunity to kind of connect all these different parts of myself, you know, in in this symbol of us, you know, joining ourselves. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, when my aunt and my cousins came to the wedding, one thing that they did that was just so beautiful was that they, uh, because there was this disconnection with, with that side of the family, 
which, you know, it's so it's about familial history and then it's about your cultural connection and how some of that was lost through my not having the connection with that side of my with my dad's side of the family. But the beautiful thing that they did was get was present this like gorgeous album of all of the people that I had never met before yeah. because my dad went into the Vietnam War and then, you know, we didn't live in Georgia. We loved we lived on the on the west side of our country in Arizona. And so it was, that was the first time where I thought, oh, okay, this gives me some kind of grounding because mm-hmm. she introduced me to like who all of my, like I found out that, oh, my name is Yvonne because I have an Aunt Yvonne, which I never knew. I didn't know that, you know, I, we got, you know, yeah. I was, we were in our twenties when we got married. And so it was just, it's such a strange thing to have that piece of information. So it, it is interesting, like you're adopted, but even if you're not adopted, there are pieces of your history that are still missing. There's still pieces of your identity that you're still trying to uh, figure out. And when you're a child, you don't know you don't know that you need them until you get to a point where you go, oh God, I need to know the history what, that, of that. That photo album that you received, mm-hmm. uh, we, so we have it to say, we got married in 2006, right? It's 2021. That was a gift to you, right? Yeah. You know, that same gift is what I'm finding on Ancestry.com. Right with my biological family, with my biological roots. Jason, I have a question for you. And you know, as we talk about that and talk about identity, like what advice or thoughts, you, you know, it, it's certainly from like a you know adoptive, adopted point of view, where maybe you're not given, you know, no, there's nobody there to give you this album, right? What advice or thoughts do you have for people searching for their own identity from the adopted space or from a space of not knowing a biological parent? That's not necessarily adopted, right? That, that, that doesn't always just land in the adopted space. You might not know your biological father. You might not know your bi- biological mother. The power of these tools online are extraordinary because mm-hmm. they track, you know, censuses, birth certificates, death certificates, you know, um, land deeds, um, all sorts of different you know, you plug in a name and if you are right in the age range and the year, you can gain access to a whole bunch of information about that indiv- about that individual. And so, you know, tools like Ancestry.com, uh, 23andMe, Family Tree DNA. A lot of people have issues spitting in a vial and sending it off and, you know, for for moral reasons and, 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 and also for possibly for, you know, political and religious reasons as well, you know, and I understand that. But my advice would be for anyone who would want to, you know, search for a deeper understanding of of who they are and where they come from, the tools are online to really, you know, kind of, if you can't ask, if you can't interview a grandparent or a parent, the tools are online where you can explore all of that in a a safe and uh, well-informed area. But I have a question right back for you. At this stage in your life, you seem to know who you are. Talk to your mom about, you know, we've been to the Philippines together, you know, a couple of times now and mm-hmm. met your, your La Gramada family in, in Kiwan and Humanhoon and, and Manila. My question for you, Yvonne, is has anyone ever like straight out asked you, like taking a look at you and then straight out asked you like, what are you? <laughs> uh I think that I get the look, what are you? Uh, but, I, you know, because I grew up in Arizona, nobody has been like bold enough to be like, <laughs> what are you? Mm-hmm. Which is totally offensive. And yeah. 
Um, at, you know, at that, at, there would be a certain point in my life where I would go, well, um, I'm a girl, you know, this is when I was a girl because now I'm a woman, but I'm a girl, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Filipino, I'm black. And then it wasn't, you know, later on in life, that's when I began to understand it's about their perception. Yeah. It's about their, you know, lack of interaction with, with the rest of the world. But sometimes people would think, um, you know, they would think that I'm, oh, oh, you're, you're, you're Hawaiian. And I'm like, and there was a part of me that was like, oh, I think Hawaiian people are beautiful. And I would be so just so excited that they would think that about me. And then, of course, I did some research about on Hawaii and I went in. Oh, OK, that's why they think that because of, you know, the history of Hawaii and how it was created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there would be people who'd go, oh, you're Chinese and you're black. And I'd go, no, I'm 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 Filipino and black. And then you begin to understand that there were so many people who did not understand you know, who just at, to this day, even with the Asian American and Pacific Islander hate that's going on today, like there's yes. nobody totally. You you see that that people that 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 this community is like lumped into one into one kind of monolith. But there's so many beautiful different cultures. Like the same thing in Africa. Like it's not just people who are African. They come from all the countries within Africa, and and our mm-hmm. and our our American experience with that is just so limited um and so and 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 then to have you know your name lee then it, it just all it messes <laughs> up they get all confused they don't it's almost like because they don't know who i am they don't know who they are yeah yeah <laughs> depending upon and it doesn't matter you know whatever person whatever cultural ethnicity that particular person comes from but historically we've been so quick to like just say black white yellow red that's right? how it's structured that's, that's, from the beginning that, that's how that's how it's structured yeah, yeah, I, I rem- I'm remembering our trip to the Philippines in in 2007, and we were we were your mother has a house on Human Hoon, uh-huh. and we uh, we went to a, a fiesta festival. Yeah, and Human Hoon is like a small island off of Eastern Samar. Yeah, it's like off of Eastern Samar that you have to take like a tiny little boat to get to, and then if it's low tide, you go on. You, you know, you have to We'd stop, literally- and you have to take all the stuff and walk up to your brother the, and I literally yeah walk, like take all your luggage and luggage put it on and if it's high tide then yeah. you just get to land on I think the I beach. fell a couple of times so I apologize you you did 15 years later for totally for what what closed <laughs> but I remember going to we went to a party and, and this DJ was it was it was a family party because everyone a lot of people there were lagrimadas right and the, and the and the family uh DJ was uh shouting giving shout outs throughout the the this dance party that we were at to various people uh, who were dancing and he pointed to me and he pointed out and he said, uh, he said, uh, we have no idea what you are or where you're from. You know, people have often confused me as being Puerto Rican or Hispanic. I I was one of those people. I'm 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 sorry. I'm a very light skinned brother, you know, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm, 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 I'm very light skinned. Uh, And he said to me, he said, we have no idea who you are or, or, or what you are. He said, he used the what. And uh, he said, but tonight, and this was the welcoming, it was his attempt to welcome me. And he said, tonight, you are Filipino. And I was like, I'm in the family now. Yes, <laughs> you were in the family. Yeah. I think what we should do is that we should call up Fanchin for a cocktail confession because she is somebody who has deep dived in identity. She is the diversity, equity, inclusion specialist in my world um, to kind of get her perspective on all of it. Absolutely. Her one woman show, uh, One Drop of Love, explores all of these 
uh, all of all of that we are touching on upon in our conversation yeah. right now. I am ec- extremely excited to have the chance to chat about all of this with our good friend. Yeah. So you guys Anson have listened Cox. to us for a while, so let's bring in another perspective. Yes. Cheers. Hello. Hey, Fanchon. Fanchon. <laughs> I am so excited that you're here. We are honored to have on our very first episode Miss Fanchon Cox here with us, who Jason and I have go years back, and we're just so excited to have her here. The stars aligned that we would uh, get to speak with each other, work with each other on National Cocktail Day. On National uh, Cocktail most Day, it is, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Cheers to that! I'm just going to give everybody a little clink without getting clink, my clink. microphone wet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we get started, um, we love this part of the part of the conversation because Jason and I will kind of talk about, you know, where we come from and how things, you know, how how uh, the conversation wraps with us personally, and then we like to bring another person on who who we feel also has something to offer to the conversation in a, in a macroscope and then also in a microscope. So I just want to tell you a little bit about Fanchon. Fanchon is an award-winning actor and producer and educator. Uh, and she has just recently, and this is how we met Fanchon, she did a beautiful show called One Drop of Love. A fantastic show. Fantastic show. Oh gosh, we could do a whole podcast just on one drop of love, and I think actually your show is one of the reasons why you're so perfect here. You know, the idea that, uh, w- you know, where are we? I remember that your show started with like looking at the census and then journeying from there about how you find your identity. And so she toured that one woman show for seven years. She's also a producer and development executive at Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's company, Pearl Street Films. Uh, and she's the co-host of the podcast Sister Brunch, and yes. Sister Brunch is a is a podcast about Black women thriving in entertainment and media careers. And if you'd like to check that out, you can subscribe and listen um, on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Along with listening to this one, of course, you're going to listen to them both and be empowered. <laughs> That's right, and and tell everybody about it and that you enjoyed it, and like look at this beautiful family that yes. we have here, and yes, keep yes, listening. Yes. yes, she serves on the board of the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative and on the Kennedy Center's Turnaround Arts Equity Advisory Committee. She is also, which is so amazing, she Fanchon is the one of the co-authors of the Inclusion Writer. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, yes. the inclusion writer is uh, is something that those who have the power, I'm going to put it as the most simplest terms, like those who have the power mm-hmm. agree that they are going to make sure that in front of the camera and behind the camera that they, at a certain percentage, are including all different types of folks so that yes. they are intentional and not just in word, but in intention and action actually making sure that all of the stories that come to us have full inclusion from a wide variety of people. And it is changing the scape uh, of the landscape of how we tell stories. She did that with Dr. Stacy Smith and Kalpana Kotogal. Did I say that right? Kotogal? Uh, Kalpana Kotogal. Yes. Kalpana yes. Kotogal. Oh, yes. that's beautiful. We all had the honor of Frances McDormand talking about it at the 2018 <laughs> Oscars. It was amazing. Yes. So other than that, she is a beautiful friend, 
um, and mm. is dedicated to all all the work in diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, and making sure that adults and children have the skills and the language that we need to make this a better world. I'm working on it. Fashion, thank you for being here with Come us. Come on now, y'all are family. Fanchin, <laughs> <laughs> are you ready? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> confession. <laughs> cocktail, con- okay. Taking a deep breath. Jason? Oh, he Taking has to a take sip. a sip. Well, we let's we'll take a cocktail take a, sip take first. A, We're yes. just going to... Yeah, yes, let's do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. A little dramatic license okay. and a dramatic applause. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> so, Fanchin, here's the question. If we are all an equation, how do we solve for identity? Okay. So I think of the equation piece as like, let's say one plus one, where the first one is our own internal needs and wants and hopes and dreams for who we are and who we want to be. The second one is how everybody else perceives us. Mm. So especially when it comes Mm. to race and our racial identity, as an example, and I think this is true for other identities as well, you look at, you know, gender, transgender identity or non-binary identity, but For race, when you have this one, which is I should have the right to fully, to have full agency over how I identify myself racially. But then you bring this other number into the equation, the other one, which is just because you choose to identify in some way does not mean that that's how other people treat you. Because we've all come to believe in this hierarchy based on a lie, right? The, the race is a lie. Yeah. Race, I, I, I always like to say that um, racism birthed race, not mm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. So there is no such thing as race. And yet racism means that we all, all the time are walking around looking at other people determine and even ourselves in the mirror often and determining who we are on this hierarchy of race. And so that those two numbers, those two, the one plus one there is what comes to equal our identity. And I think that we have to constantly be thinking of both of those things And it's not enough to, for example, pull a Rachel Dolezal and say, (laughs) I feel like a Black Mm -hmm. woman and therefore I Mm -hmm. am one. Because that's that first one. But that second one says to Rachel Dolezal, but the world, you get to live in the world as a white woman. And so you may want to identify as Black. And in some ways, I want to embrace that. I want to, I want to be glad that folks want to love Blackness. Mm-hmm. Yet you have to acknowledge that the world treats you as a white person. And that's okay. But that means you have certain privileges based on that, you know, how the world perceives you. One of my favorite memes, I, Yvonne, I've shown this to you, is a, a young Black boy with a hoodie on and his hands up and a police officer is pointing a gun at him and the boy says don't shoot i identify as white Mm. 
So mm. that first one, we'd love to all be able to say, you know what, I'm going to identify how I choose to identify and I'm going to live that way. But then we've got to acknowledge that not everybody gets to. So where do we constantly walk that balance of acknowledging both of these things? I think yeah. that's how I think of it. And that's the, that's the equals identity. Identity is both of those numbers together. What your response there, Fanchon, brings to mind is, is your show, uh, One Drop of Love, and the sense it's taking. Right? We've been, you know, to, right. to go histor historical with it, we've been having to mark and check boxes for the longest time. Mm -hmm. and, 1790, uh, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. And the boxes yeah. keep expanding. They're, they're and, and speaking of that too, from 1790, so what I do at the top of the show is I become a census worker and I tell the audience right now we're in 1790. And in 1790, the only racial categories that were available to anybody were free white male, free white female, and slave. And so I tell the audience, we're here right now. That means I'm, I'm going to go around and tell you each person here, which of these, only these three options you are. And from 1790 until 1970, the census worker would look at you and mark down your race. Not until 1970 did we fully start to have our own agency around how we identify ourselves, mm. right? So yeah. again, we could all day say, I'm proud to be black. I can say all day I'm proud to be black, but I have to acknowledge that I, when I walk into a store, people don't look at me the way they would look at my family members who are darker skinned or ha yes. have different features. And so I have this very different experience of blackness and mixedness as well. There are mixed people who are mixed with what in the critical mixed race scholars, scholars call dual minority, hmm. right? So you have mixed folks who have two parents who are black and Asian as an example. That's me. And Dual minority. I have dual, never used that word before. Wow. I just absolutely love that you brought that up because it, Jason and I had probably been married. We had just moved into this house. We'd probably been married for, I don't know, three or four years. Grace was yeah. maybe three years old. Yeah. And so we, we've always had this conversation where, you know, um, like if I have always claimed being African-American and Filipino. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've always spoken about like, I'm not saying I'm half this or half that or any of those things. Mm -hmm. And it was in like, you know, in, in conversation with Jason where I realized like his journey is really different than mine. Like we're yeah. both biracial. Yeah. But he says, I identify at that time he was saying, um, I identify as black, but I was like, but you're also, you're also white. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I'm a black man. I'm like, but wait a minute, you were, and so it made me really understand that, mm -hmm. you know, now I know, I know this new word, dual min minority, uh, yeah, or, dual minority, yeah, is that your journey of being biracial is completely different from mine. Yes. It's like it's a harder journey in terms of identity. It's very interesting. The dominant culture, when you represent both the to go historical with it, the slaves and the enslaved. Mm -hmm and the slave owners, when you mm -hmm. represent the dominant culture and the other uh, in America, um, uh, 
you're in a bit of a conundrum, right? You're in a bit of a pickle all right? the time. And you add all in on time. that for me and my search and, it, you know, uh, coming in, I, I have always before I was adopted, I always identified as an adopted kid right. more so who was black and white. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I was raised in white environments. So I, of course I was black. Right. Even though I'm fairly right. light skinned, Yvonne often said that I'm Everybody. the, what, what do you say, Yvonne? I'm the, I'm the lightest. You, black you man. never get it right. You always, I never get you it right. always say it. I have to correct you. <laughs> There's a lot of trauma there with this naming. That's, that's partly why we forget you. You are the darkest light skinned man. I know that's what There's I, one I thing say. About when we name, when we name it, when we write it, when we yeah. spell oh, it, yeah. it, it, it's literally a spell. Right, it's literally called it's, spelling. I heard this recently, and ooh, I think that's really dope. Right? Yeah, come on now, come on now. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing is that that you know I learned that a lot in researching for one drop around the lie of race because not only has it changed. 24 times on our own U.S. census here, these racial categories that are supposed to be based in science or real, but any other country you go to has completely different terminology for it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anything that changes so much. But I'll say to Yvonne, um, I don't necessarily consider it a kind of an easier experience. Um, e- of a dual minority? Respect- Absolutely. I mean, listen. Well, definitely what, not today. I mean, I'm I'm Pacific Islander and African American. But 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 at all, right? I mean, wh- white adjacency is what buys you resources in this country. The closer you are to being considered white by others, the the more resources you have had access to. Yeah. And that's something that light skinned people, especially people like me with blue eyes, that I could I could pass. White people want me to pass. I'll tell I've, you know, I've mm. literally had mm. folks, you know, just just please just just say you're white. You know what I mean? I've had the same thing happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that when it They're comes asking to you to pass. Encouraging it. In, um, sometimes encouraging. almost insisting it will make us feel much more comfortable if yep. you just did, did just avoid the blackness forget <laughs> about <laughs> that forget about that no come on but you really you know oh yeah yeah and and so yes emotionally that is tough right it's when when you love who you are and you love you that's tough but we have access to resources or access to just getting around every day in the world and being, and and I will say, I do find sometimes this is different for light-skinned women or mixed women than it is for men. So Jason, I'm sure you, you have different experiences, but like we, we were seen, uh, you know, for a long time up until very recently, this was the exotic, you know, we were fetishized mm-hmm. and oh. that was both horrible, you know, on an internal level, but it was, it also meant that we got the acting jobs like that are supposed to go to black women, but it went to all light-skinned black women as an example. So uh, I wouldn't use easier either way or more difficult or not. I found out in my DNA testing that I'm part, you know, it's a small part, but Ashkenazi Jew is in, is in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've had Jewish individuals tell me that I'm not Jewish because I'm black. Like we were never even right. allowed to be white right. in, in our, in our, to, to claim a whiteness. And that's what I love about Johnny Pitts is who Johnny Pitts wrote a book about, he, he calls it Afropean. I, I have it here on my, on my desk right now. And 
And uh, he explores all of this and, and that type of that, that name, that branding in itself, Afropean has given me uh, a sense of identity and a sense of self African and European in a, in a way that I never had before, but yeah, no, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wise enough to avoid the, the, the complications of, uh, as a man of the, of the, of the femininity exploration. Very, very good. What you were not wise enough to avoid was naming this episode white Negroni. And I do feel like you, (laughs) I, I feel like you owe the audience, the listeners a little explanation (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, and I will. As I, w- I, I am pouring another white Excellent. Negroni right well, we, here. We explained it a little bit earlier, a bit more, but now under the context of having Fanchon here, <laughs> we need to revisit. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we uh, didn't offend uh, Sister Fanchon here with any exploration of the uh, of, of the white Negroni. Um, I have a a, a pretty uh, wild sense of humor, and the uh, and and what that does for me when I when I first heard of the white Negroni when I first heard of a Negroni of course I went Negro so I heard oh, white I totally Negroni did. I went I heard uh, white Negroni and yeah. I'm like well of yeah. course I that that is that's me kind of like that's, that's what that's I who, am I, that's uh, I'm gonna I, I identify it's it's a it's a it's a more perverse way of saying Afropean right pretty <laughs> white, much white Negroni. it's adjacent that's adjacentism <laughs> we're just gonna go with it we're just gonna go with it we're gonna walk <laughs> there are many Jasonisms a little bit <laughs> and, and, and we're gonna explore a lot of them. Because I think through <laughs> through the exploration, using humor, using mm-hmm. uh, you know love, u- u- yes. using uh, you know uh, the ability to laugh at self and and to laugh at the madness mm-hmm. you know uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, that that we're faced with is is how we've been able that we the global we have been able to survive in this kind of. Uh, you know, madhouse uh, yeah. that, that historically that the, the states have been. It's how we've gotten through and the resilience of yeah. us all to maintain, to attempt to create, to show our humanity in the arts, whether that's through that's acting. That's to be celebrated. Writing. Resilience, for sure. Resilience in, in all spaces. I love that. And a conversation I often have in, in kind of DEI workshops is, and, and especially with mixed folks, is um, grappling with, okay, I am, I'm told to be, let's say for biracial, black and, and white, and I, I might talk about why I rarely use that terminology, but we'll get there. But like, when you have a black parent and a white parent, and the question is kind of, you know, I'm proud of my black identity. Is it okay to be proud of my white identity? Mm. Mm. That's one of those questions that those Love of us it. with white parents have to mm-hmm. really think about. My response, having kind of dug into the invention of whiteness, because it's an invention, right? And mm-hmm. it is, and 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 it's an invent, it's an insidious one. There, there's, there was literally no. Nothing positive about the invention of whiteness White. in and of itself. That doesn't mean Ashkenazi's Jew, or it doesn't mean Danish, like or my German, mother is, or, or yes. German, right? Irish. It means it's just how you look. Whiteness. Unfortunately, there's actually nothing to be proud of in that. True. 
Whereas with blackness, and then people say, okay, well, you know, and I say, really, we don't even know what it means. We haven't even told the truth of what whiteness or white identity means. We're starting to because they stormed the, the White House <laughs> on January 6th. Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. in the name of whiteness versus blackness is something that exists it is a it is resilience as you as you just said it's also struggle and that's kind of hard about black identity is that it always comes along with struggle um but it's also joy and it's tradition it's cultural traditions but what happens as you were saying jason when you've got both of these things in you an identity that was created only for nefarious means and another one that is created out of resilience what about white people who are allies? You know, is there something to celebrate about, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. that, you know? Not as their whiteness, but as their Europeanness, as their as fame. their Irishness, yes. as their right, like white people in this country need to dig in and understand their roots. By the way, a lot of white people in this country were not white when they first arrived here. So Italians did not immediately on the census, they were not immediately counted as white. Neither were Mexicans and Mexicans. Then the the category switched Mm -hmm. into white and then switched into, you know, what we have today, which is like Hispanic or Hispanic origin. So I'm talking specifically about white, right? Yes. Like white yeah. identity. You can be an ally, but part of your allyship has to be digging in and understanding the historical context of how you got to be named white in the first place. And mm-hmm. that is nothing but nefarious. Mm-hmm. And and part of why the category of white slash at the time Caucasian got established was because freed African peoples were getting together with white or at the time Caucasian or really immigrant, let's say Irish uh, um, indentured servants. Mm -hmm. They were starting to come together and say, wait a minute, we don't like how we're being treated. They were starting to come together and rebel against the, the wealthy white Caucasian class. And that's when laws started to be created that said that if you were considered white or Caucasian at the time, you could eventually work your way out of your indentured servitude. Yes. But if you were black or a slave, you were that in perpetuity. And that's when the divisions began between poor white <laughs> indentured servants and and African slaves because the indentured servant says, we're out because we want to work this off and get to where you are. Yeah. And, and that is yeah. where those tensions began. So we have his clear historical context of where this division of white identity began. And so those of us who, the, I'll say now why I avoid terms like biracial or multiracial. I avoid terms that have the word race in them mm-hmm. because I feel like we're perpetuating the notion that it's real and therefore determines where we are on a hierarchy yeah. instead of, I tend to use more like mixed roots or just mixed. None of it is good because it all refers back to these lies <laughs> that yeah. we were all told. 
But if we can get more towards, and, and Yvonne, to your point, it's not that white people are all nefarious because whiteness is nefarious. It's that that white people and others who look white and pa- can pass as white need to examine why we were called that, why we call ourselves that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love hearing you say that because I just, I remember, you know, two things. I remember just a, a lifetime of, you know, being, and so I'll, I'll speak from terms of, as, as we're trying to get away from the words uh, race, black and white, but identifying as black and Filipino growing up and then asking people who appeared to me to be white and to ask like where they came from and how they would kind of posh, posh. Well, I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, but I don't really know. So I'm just white, you know, mm-hmm. and there was nothing for them to hold on to. Right? Absolutely. And I, they've been cheated. They've been cheated of their history as well in this country. Like like the people who cannot identify that, who say that they're Russian or Hungarian or Irish or, you know, any of these things, they, they it's like, well, well, I don't just know it. I just, I just do this. And they take for granted, yeah. right? Like what yeah. did their family give up in order for them to get there? I mean, I think it's probably one of the reasons why I love New York so much because they still hold on to it. Like no matter where they you do. go, they're still holding on to that. They, they yes. use the white privilege when they need to. They go into the city, mm-hmm. they get their thing and they go back to their borough. <laughs> to their <laughs> they are who they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so, yep. oh, I forgot the second thing already because that was so much fun. Well, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just to, just to put that out there is like what has been given up if if those who are saying that they're white and and oh and the other thing was is that my own internalization of as i try to move away like like this at our school we called it black history month and there was a moment when all this planning was happening where i wanted to say to all these women can we call it african-american history month can we call it something other than black Mm, that's mm. what I wanted to be able mm. to say. I, I will say this, though, that black is different from white. So black does not refer only to race. That's what we were just saying, right? Like black refers to culture, it's mm-hmm. dance, it's music, it's um food. It also refers to resilience. So black does not directly refer to race. And so I'm okay with using black because it refers to all of these other aspects of an identity. White only refers to race. It's not a culture. There's no, there's no white culture. I mean, we make jokes. Mayonnaise is white food, right? But, but there, it's the, the, when, if you examine what's connected to white identity, it is only bad. It is, yeah. it is only supremacy. Wow. I just learned it's, so it's much from lot. you just in that bit of, you know, looking it's at it lot. from that, it's that perspective. Lot. And, and I will say for any of the, you know, anybody who's listening right now, like, part of your job is to listen to what's happening. And then part of your job is to go out and find out. So this is not the end all be all of your learning. It is the the one thing that you should walk away from listening to this entire series is to have questions. Um, It's it's not meant for you to. So our, our goal is like as many questions as you can have about, you know, how we historically put things and how we personally talk about things. It's about you to go on your own journey and begin to ask questions and, and kind of wake up from whatever, whatever you've been taught, whether you know it or not. Last question. And then we'll, 
Oh my gosh, we'll just do, we'll have you back maybe perhaps in another <laughs> yes, episode please, so we can family, talk about please. that. I got to get my cocktail yeah. sent to me at home on the next. We're going to yeah. do that. We're going to do that. Can I just say Yvonne gets to determine the t- the name of the drink next time? Mm. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just. Lager <laughs> Link's a little bit of us both. So I, you know, I, I, I do as like a, as, a, <laughs> as a smart man, as a, a, a you know, happy, happy wife, happy life. So I yeah, There you go. There you go. <laughs> this is kind of a, a loaded question, but I just want to say, um, and 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 we'll, we'll end with your answer to this. Okay. How has your identity evolved? This is a big one. How has your identity evolved over time, like till now? So, uh, I uh, early on, I just knew that I had two parents that the world looked at differently, right? That I just had these two parents, but I could tell. I knew I got messages from early on that the world said that there was something different about my two parents. My dad is Jamaican. He immigrated here from Jamaica in the 50s to go to school. My mom is um, white and she says, I am Blackfeet Indian and Cherokee and Danish. And she doesn't want people to see her as white. And yet that's how the world sees her. Mm-hmm. So I think early on, there were already questions about about what this would mean in terms of identity, but I wasn't thinking of embracing anything. But then I spent my early years in Washington, D.C., and at that time, D.C. was Chocolate City, and I was definitively a high yellow, <laughs> as they call mm-hmm. us in D.C. <laughs> I was definitively high a light-skinned, high yellow black girl. Like that's There was no question about it. That's what I was. After my parents divorced, my mom moved us for about a year to Strong, Maine. And the population of Strong was about 400 people, tiny place, all white, except the one, the black population that was exactly one. And that was my half and my brother Winston's half. We had to deal with a lot of things there where I started to try to hide my black identity because I needed to survive through that year. We then moved ultimately to Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is where I met Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And we grew up Mm -hmm. together in this very progressive city where we all patted ourselves on the back for being progressive around everything. In hindsight, I see how the white folks in Cambridge really kind of ran things and the rest of us did what they said. Um, But in Cambridge, there were lots of other mixed people although in Cam- at that time this was the 70s and and early 80s in Cambridge I I can't even get the words out of my my mouth but I'm going to say it I proudly identified as mulatta or mulatto yeah. <laughs> you've been there. have you been there Jason oh I, we, we, were, we were talking earlier about the uh, you know yeah. about the mathematical equations of things right the you know mulatto yes. quadroon yep. octoroon yep. that has been part of the uh, yep. discussion the here in the states yes yes yeah. I actually I, couldn't figure out if I was actually a part of that word I don't and I realized now that with I, the dual minority I yeah got dual right, minority yeah. there's you know there's uh, what Matisse Matisse there's Matisse which is native uh, indigenous. I and believe European, there are all sorts of different exactly like you go ways. to Louisiana, there's yes. Creole, there are all these yes. other right ways. But in Boston, we were mulat- mulatto, <laughs> uh, biracial and my mulatto. Um, and then I and then I get to college, I went to the University of Michigan, and I noticed that on the first day, like within the first week on campus, I'm getting these looks and these nods. 
And I'm like, why y'all not? Who? Me? You're <laughs> nodding at me? The high yellow? <laughs> you know, when the I high... started getting the black man head nod, you I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, I mean, I felt that too, even though I didn't, I didn't know whether I could use that word or not. I do remember in college was where I was like, oh, if you're black, you're supposed to, you're supposed you're supposed to acknowledge to do people. This. this is part of the, <laughs> this is part of the thing. And mm-hmm. listen, y'all, I became the most militant gum smacking, you know, fight the power. Did you, you know the, the leather, the leather, yeah, yeah, Africa. yeah, yeah. yeah the red, red, black, and green, red, <laughs> big red, ass, big <laughs> ass, all, relaxer came all out the hair, yes. you know. I gave my mom a real hard time when I come home oh, from school. Um, yeah. And then, but, and then I joined the Peace Corps and I lived in West Africa for two years and I get to West Africa and I think I'm going to be embraced as a black sister coming home. And they're immediately like, white woman, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's dealing with that. So this, you know, constant understanding that it, that one plus one. I might identify yeah. myself, I might choose yeah. how I identify myself, but that other one in the equation has everything to do with geography, with class, with all these other intersecting identities that go into how other people read me and see me. I'm proud to say that today I proudly identify as a black woman who has a white mom and I have white adjacency and light skin privilege. But that most importantly, what I have learned is that my blackness does not need to be performed because that's Mm. what I was doing. I'm going to snap to that because... (laughs) I totally identify with that. I don't owe any kind of performance to anybody to own my blackness. We identify with what we know Mm -hmm. while often searching for that which we cannot or will never know. While identity may leave us feeling invisible in the eyes of others, we must show our descendants we are not. Mm. 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 That's it. Hashtag yes. boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Banshee, it has been so beautiful learning from you. I learned so much just now. I love so you I just want to thank so you much. for being here with us. Love you My too, pleasure. sis. Love you too. My is, pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Like I said, we, we we said earlier, we could have a we could have these uh, could we could go. have a podcast episode. This could go on and on. <laughs> go but on it's and so on rich and, on. and so deep and so important in this time in the zeitgeist we're living through right now. We're yes. living in right now to be yes. able to uh, communicate about these issues, these themes, the the general question, the the micro macro question of who we are and how mm-hmm. we are walking through time and space on this earth. Mm. embracing our power, Mm. stepping into our power and claiming it. The one thing that we can take away is that the more sure-footed we are in understanding our identity and the more that we go back and we look at our identity through humanity, the things that that really affect our everyday life and and, and understand the powers that be that try to shift that understanding, um, the stronger that we're going to be as a community. So, 100%. Thank you. We're, we're, we're going to figure you. out where we're going to talk to you again in our sixth episode series here. Yes. Love, it. Here. love it. Yes. All right. Much love. Much love. Much love. Yes. 
We identify with what we know, while often searching for that which we cannot or will never know. While identity may leave us feeling invisible in the eyes of others, we must show our descendants we are not. podcast is produced by the Lager Lane Group. We would like to thank Lager Lane Spirits co-producers and writers, Courtney Oliphant and Pepper Chambers Ceresi, co-producer Matthew Ceresi, podcast coordinator Amanda Dinsmore, sound designer David B. Marling, the Launch Guild, and Toby Gad for his original piano improvisation. also like to thank Podcast Haven and our special guest on tonight's episode, Fanchon Cox. Remember to grab our white Negroni recipe and show notes by going to lagralanespirits.com. We'll catch you next time. And if you love the episode, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.